My guest today, I'm very excited to introduce to you, Reverend Lazarus Yetnazar is the founder of Transform Iran, a faith-based humanitarian outreach to the desperate of Iran. People are asking me from mission conferences, why Iran? And my answer is, why not? Why not? So God has decided in His grace to give us a second chance. So people who have seen a dream of Christ, they become seekers. All of them become seekers. That is the time that we have to come around them and say, listen, you have met Christ. This is His Word, His living, powerful, active Word. Before the revolution, there were probably 300 Muslim converts. Now there are over a million Muslim converts and increasing by the day. They said that Iran is the fastest growing church. So I think God checkmated the devil again. Missions Pulse. Know God's heart, join his mission. This podcast is powered by Within Reach Global. Subscribe, watch, and listen on YouTube today. Visit missionspulse.com. Welcome back to Missions Pulse, where we encourage you to know God's heart and join His mission. Such an exciting time to be alive right now, because although there is struggle, perhaps persecution, perhaps rights and liberties being taken away from you that you have previously experienced, uh, amidst all these culture wars and the difficulties we as Christians face, I do believe there is a great spiritual awakening taking place, not only in Asbury, not only in college campuses across America. America, but around the world. And I want us to catch a glimpse of the things that God is doing in the nations today. Uh, really excited about this conversation. If you've enjoyed Missions Pulse, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast, share it with a friend. I don't think they'll be disappointed. My guest today, I'm very excited to introduce to you, Reverend Lazarus Yetnazar is the founder of Transform Iran, a faith-based humanitarian outreach to the desperate of Iran. And he is a former top translator for Iran's war ministry and budget ministry who immigrated to England 36 years ago following the Iran-Iraq war. Recently, in fact, he was uh, highlighted on CBN, and I'm very excited to have him here on Missions Pulse. Reverend Lazarus, nice to see you. Nice to be with you. Nice to be invited, David. I'm excited to share what God is doing in the country of Iran. I am excited to hear because we often have uh, first images come to our mind, the connotations, perhaps the presupposed connotations that we have when we hear the word Iran. So I wanted to jump right into it. You know, in a place where we're experiencing perhaps persecution, difficulty, uh, government oppression, or recent political uprisings. What have you seen? How have you seen a combination of these things kind of spur on a great spiritual awakening in the country? Well, when we look at the situation, David, we look at the through the prism of our history. And our history is what, 60 years, 80 years, 100 years? When we were kids, we were struggling with other things, issues, and we are plus 70, and I'm plus 70 also. I don't want to say a derogatory word to the older people. But then we have got, you know, kind of, we are looking to, over the horizon, over the end. What, it's 50 years of effective life if we look, you know, in a prism of humanity. But when God looks at the situation, you know, a thousand years is like a day. So let's say God looks as two days in the history of humanity, 2,000 years. At the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, three people's groups are mentioned out of the 12. The first one, Medians, Parsians, and Elamites. 
why on earth would God pick up these three people group? Because we were they were there on mass. And why all three of them from the plateau called Iran now or Persia before? Because the Magi's, the astronomers, all those kingly people who came and gave their golden myrrh and everything else to the newborn king, they went back and they didn't forget it. They probably put some people and entourage, watch this king. And as a result, there was a connection between Iran and the newborn king in Bethlehem. And this is why I believe, this is our research and I, we have come to believe after years and years of research that this is the reason there was a connection between this king who grew up, did miracles, then died on the cross, resurrected, and as a result, a huge entourage. It took them three months on a camel ride to travel to Jerusalem, and probably they were in Jerusalem before that as well. That's why Midians, Parthians, and Elamites were there. The reason I'm sharing this with you and the listeners and the viewers is God looks through this prism of history, and as a result, Christianity grew in Iran until seven, eight centuries. Before the onslaught of Islam, Christianity was a major religion, but something happened wrong and we became introvert. We became too influential. We became landowners. We were more interested in our you know, preservation. And as a result, Islam came, destroyed things. And after many centuries, I think God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit says, isn't it time that we give a grace period, a new visitation right to these poor people? And I think people are asking me from mission conferences, why Iran? And my answer is, why not? Why not? So God has decided in his grace to give us a second chance. And I think historically, this is a really end time chance for the people of Iran. This is why we see over a million Muslims coming to Christ. I love this kind of answer because you zoom out from the pavement context, that myopic vision that we often have in our worlds, and rather zoom out to see this macro God-sized picture. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, so why don't you, uh, and I also have to say, I love starting off a podcast like this. Just rush right in. <laughs> um you know, why don't you catch us up on your story? Uh, how have you experienced God throughout your life and kind of grown into this deep passion? First of all, David, I would like to share with you that as we are closer to the end times, and when I say closer to the end times, we have churches in 16 cities in Turkey. We have been there for decades, serving the persecuted Muslim convert church, Afghanis, and Iranians. So we have spread all over the country. In the last 10 days, over 60,000 people were killed. Last night, there were tremors again in Antioch, Mersin, Karamansara. So our folks in these churches had to sleep outside and we are trying to find a way. 60,000 dead. And I think this will rise to over 100,000. This is our calculation. Now, why I'm sharing with this, if this is not the end times, this is the beginning of the end times. But in this end time situation, before I share my story, I would like to say, do not discard the nation. You know, I have been to many countries serving and people say, oh, you don't know Lazarus. This is Cambodia. This is Laos. This is Hong Kong. This is Switzerland. This is Germany. This is America. We are lost. I said, no country is lost for God. God can change a heart of stone 
to a heart of flesh. And I think as the demonic is prevailing all over the world, so is God's grace coming with greater power. I came to Christ at the age of six with a divine visitation. I saw a dream of Christ where I was born and bred in Iran, in Tehran. I've often gone back to that room. Now it's sadly confiscated by the Iranian government because my brothers and I have been involved with the ministry which Iranian regime and the Ayatollahs hate. So they confiscated the house. I hope if it's not destroyed, we'll go back and reclaim it because there is a corner where I saw that vision as a six-year-old Armenian boy. I was born in an Armenian Christian family. My father, before he committed his life to Christ, he was a very strong nationalist, proud and arrogant young boy. I'm saying this because he has told it to me. Then he had an encounter with Christ because though we were from an Orthodox Armenian heritage, but he didn't have a born again experience with Christ. And then he was studying actually in a church, in a college where the English missionaries had started in Iran, CMS missionaries. And then he graduated, he had the opportunity to go to the National Iranian Oil Company, which was starting to make headlines. And he said, no. And then he found Christ right at that time. He got married to my wonderful mother, who was a godly woman, and all their children, we are three sisters, three brothers. We were born in that Christian cradle. So as a six-year-old boy, we have a family worship time early morning before my sisters went to school and I saw this vision. That has transformed my life. You know, people say, oh, he's a kid. He's old. They discard different age group. He is a pastor. He is a bishop. He is a prophet. He is an ordinary church member. Church member. I don't see that. I see that if you are a part of the God's family, are you planted in the church? Have you had this personal encounter with Christ? You are not an ordinary person. I cannot do this sacrilegious statement by saying someone is ordinary church member. If you have an encounter with Christ, you're an extraordinary human being, not confined in a short parenthesis of living 70, 80 years and then going to eternity. Because in eternity, you don't have anyone else to preach, to teach, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. So as extraordinary human beings, when we have a personal encounter with Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us, not only to preserve us, he habitates us to be able to use our vessel to proclaim the good news. So I grew up with that mandate and I was nine years old when I was introduced to the prophetic. Again, another thing which hurts me deeply when I see Christians who say this part of the word of God is apostolic. So let's read it. This is Old Testament. This is epistles. This is theology. I take from edge to edge, everything is mine. I possess yeah. it. I live in that. So what happened to Daniel, the fourth man, Ezra, and the others can happen to me. When Jesus fed the 5,000 with only two fish and five loaves, it can happen to me. Everything Amen. in this is not a history book. It is a revelation that I can possess it and I can live. That's why I live an excited Christian life. I hear the excitement and I love that you're pushing back against this idea of cessationism and perhaps the gifts are uh, for a, a bygone era 
my goodness, what sad and hopeless people we are if Christ and his power and miraculous glory are not for us today. And so I appreciate you saying that. I, I too have seen these miracles and supernatural things that cannot be explained by man take place right in front of our eyes. Tell me something about, I'm sure you've seen the same or similar things. You know, uh, on last Sunday, I was in our media center in Almire, and uh, I was speaking, you know, to at church because we're recording some TV programs, Transform Iran. By the way, the viewers and listeners, if they want to hear more, because this is a confined time uh, of a few minutes, but they can visit www.transformiran.com to listen to more. And I had chosen to speak from Ezekiel 37. And I said that the word of God comes to Ezekiel, the prophet, he says, tell these bones that you have to come back to life. And I said, I think God knew that these are dry bones and they don't have ear and they can't listen. But what I have come to conclude and understand in my short life, when God says bones listen, the dry bones have ears to listen as well. Where I grew up in Iran, we had total freedom in the time of the Shah of Iran, 43 years ago. There were hospitals, schools built by selfless missionaries who came from all over the world, teaching, ministering, serving, and I tell you, David, no one can go to Iran and miss out the tombstone of missionaries who came, lived, served, died, and they didn't see any result. And this is what I want to tell the viewers and listeners. Never give up. Don't give up to your family, your children, your, your city, because these missionaries came and served and they didn't see a result. And I think it's so disappointing. They died in Hamadan, in Tabriz, in Tehran, all these big cities. But then the revolution came and I was there. I was there 43 years ago as a 30-year-old young man. I stood there and I said something which is absolutely tragic. Five million Muslims were chanting death to Israel, death to America. And they were welcoming Ayatollah Khomeini, the founder of Islamic Republic. And I said this sentence. I remember it. I hear it now. God, what did we pray? What did we get? In other words, Holy Spirit, you didn't work through the confinement of the way I see through my prism. What we prayed was a revival, was an opening. But what we get is the Islamic Republic of Iran. But guess what? Before the revolution, there were probably 300 Muslim converts. Now there are over a million Muslim converts and increasing by the day. They say that Iran is the fastest growing church. So I think God checkmated the devil again. My Jesus has never lost a chess match against the demonic. He always wins. So when I thought it's an utter loss, in other words, Holy Spirit, why didn't you consult me? I have been giving my life since I was six years old. All these years I've been praying and fasting for revival with a small group. What is happening? Holy Spirit says, keep quiet. Just watch and see what am I to do. And God changed the Ezekiel 37 dry bones into people of flesh and eagerness and hunger for the truth. This can happen to any nation. I so appreciate you sharing that because this is the kind of thing that we are praying for as well here in Thailand. After 194 years of Protestant missionary remaining less than 1% Christian, as I was sharing a moment ago with you before we started recording, um, uh, many people feel the sense of, Lord, where is the revival? To be Thai is to be Buddhist, they say, but rather we believe to be Thai is to be loved by God. And uh, I do very firmly believe that there is 
dry bones rattling right now. If only we could sense the working of the Holy Spirit. And Amen. you're right. Amen. Uh, yeah, we, we might not see it immediately. Uh, but even as you mentioned ago, one but day is I, as I a, am a thousand more selfish. to the Lord. David, I'm more selfish than the missionaries who didn't see the end time of revival in Iran. I want to see it in my lifetime. Yeah. But the yeah. point is, when people ask why it's not happening now, because we have given up expecting. Something has come and robbed and stolen. In John, Jesus says, the thief doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. Someone has come within us and stolen our appetite of expectation. Yeah. Our appetite, our desire that this can happen now. I, all yes. my lifetime, I have seen very heavy theologians who say they're very heavy on theology and don't misunderstand. David and all the viewers and all listeners, we have a Bible college. I appreciate the word of God. We believe that people have to get two PhDs and three PhDs, but we are heavy on theology and less on the working of the Holy Spirit to transform yeah, true. dry bones into people alive. And I think that's this true. stealing by the demonic has reduced us to reduce our expectation level. Listen, this is our church. We are in Milwaukee. We are in Canada. We are in Toronto. We are in Tehran. Get used to the status quo. I'm not getting used to the status quo. So my encouragement would be never give up and never reduce your expectation. The Holy Spirit can use to make the dry bones listen. And this is what we have seen in Iran. People who were completely alien and apathetical towards anything about Christianity, they cannot have enough. Every day, thousands of them are coming to Christ. And I'm telling you, every day. So our ministry team, which is a few hundred, are working day in and day out, and we cannot reach out to everyone. But the Holy Spirit is doing signs, wonders, and miracles that nobody has heard, except we have seen in the New Testament. People say, ask me questions. Why are people in Iran seeing dreams? Why? Because that is the lingua parla. If Jesus was living now, in America, he would have tweeted. Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and from book of Genesis to Revelation, there is dream. Abraham dreamt, Joseph dreamt, Daniel dreamt, Middle Eastern people dream. If you ask any Iranian Muslim convert congregation, how many of you have seen a dream? 95% of their hands will go up. But people ask me, even today I had a discussion with a Dutch newspaper, Christian newspaper, Reformische Dagblad, this morning, and they said, how many people come to Christ? I said, huge numbers, but some of them, the transformation is sudden in their dreams. I can tell you stories of drug addicts who woke up after pleading with God, I'm going to kill myself. I have lost everything, my family, my relationship. And then they saw this white robed man. I am Jesus. You are changed. I've chosen you. The guy woke up. There is no appetite for heroin or cocaine or even a cigarette. Or people were dying. They said, oh, Isa, Jesus, you help me. They woke up and there is no iota of cancerous cell in their body. There are so many of them. But the beautiful thing is people see Jesus physically approaching them. Not only in dreams, but in broad daylight and calling them. I can tell you the story of Homera and many others that they said, Isa, you help me. And there was a knock on their door and Jesus says, you called me. I mean, this is phenomenals that we haven't heard in Western context because people say, why we Westerners don't see it? Because we have used to tangible, verifiable, measurable 
yes. and we have given up on the spiritual. I think I will encourage the viewers, simply ask, like my Swiss friend, he had gone to Iran, he came back, he says, Lazarus, why every Iranian I meet, they have seen a vision of Christ and we don't see it in Switzerland? I said, ask. So he prayed, he said, Jesus, would you please show me a dream as well? And he started dreaming. So I will encourage my friends in the Western world, don't give up dreaming, not only when you're sleeping, but don't give up dreaming when you are awake. Dream together with Jesus, salvation of your city, cities lost, places that you have traveled, because this is the end time. If we don't do it now, when can we do it? Yes, time is slipping away. I so appreciate you sharing that because uh, in my context over the last 25 years, both in China and now here in Thailand, as well as Myanmar and other places, the spiritual and the secular or the, the other world, the tangible and the, the otherworldly uh, walk side by side. You recognize the hungry ghosts, you feed them, you burn incense to them, you appease the spirits. It is natural uh, for these contexts to grow up and understand there's a spiritual dimension just on the other side of their fingertips. But like you said, in the Western world, we have so made it mandatory to have it be tangible and touchable, and therefore it has become distant to us. And I think... That's what God wants to reunite again. I was going to ask you, when all these people have dreams, you're mentioning dreams, what happens after this? Uh, Jesus appears to them, both either physically or in a dream. Is there some sort of follow-up? They meet a Christian, they get saved, or instantly they're transformed? You touched a very interesting button and an interesting subject. When they see a dream, some of them, I would say, we, this is the question which was posed to me, this morning as well let's say 50 percent. we haven't a clear statistic but just asking random questions because everyone has come to faith or 50 percent when they wake up they know that they're believers they need to be a follower a disciple of christ but unless they have the word of god unless they see this and this is the sad thing people forget that 55 percent of iranians at their home they don't speak farsi they speak Bilaki or baluchi or Tati or Galeshi or Kurdish or Arabic Khuzestani. And as Nelson Mandela says, when you talk with someone with an acquired or learned language, you touch their brains. But when you speak with their heart language, you touch their heart. I have coined this phrase, the language of wedding and funerals. David, there is a revival in Iran, but the word of God, I am very nervous, is not penetrating deep in the heart because we lack still a Tati Bible. A, Baluchi Makrani Bible, a Galashi Bible. We lack these languages. It is not being overlooked by Bible translation agencies because there are so many languages. So if we taken upon us to accelerate the translation of this word of God. So when we sit with someone, we start, are you lucky? Are you Kurdish? We have the gospel of John in this language is available. Praise God. We share with them. And the word of God, I again believe this. I don't care about being secessionist or not. I believe in this word of God. It's an infallible word of God. It says the word of God is living, active, and powerful to challenge. So people who have seen a dream of Christ, they become seekers. All of them become seekers. That is the time that we have to come around them and say, listen, you have met Christ. This is his word, his living, powerful, active word. And if they have seen Christ and their lives is transformed, they have been healed or miraculously changed, and transform from their habits, 
they have the eagerness and appetite to eat good food. It's just like somebody who has a flu or influenza, you lose your appetite, you don't want to eat. But then when you are healthy, you say, oh, I want to have more food. And once they meet Christ, they have an appetite for the word of God. Only we have to come alongside them and say, listen, the word of God exists in your mother tongue. Here it is, let's study together. But one correction I have to make is, yes, the Westerners are kind of captive to their tangible, verifiable, measurable, but still the Westerners are very spiritual. Why? And I have the proof for this. Harry Potter films and books. Who is the best buyers of these books? Yeah, Westerners. If you are so Westerners, we are so cultured that we don't have anything for the spiritual, how can we spend so much time for these hobbies and tobies and bobbies? In Italy last year, they spent $5 billion on everything which was about superstition, witchcraft, etc. Because Satan has cheated us. Satan knows we are spiritual, was feeding them garbage. So my brothers and sisters, you are viewing this program or listening to this. Do not give the most westernized philosopher, anti-Christian person. There could be an ignition of his spiritual element. So Amen. the dry bones can become ears and they can listen to the word of God. Let's penetrate the hearts with the power of the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And David, I commend you for doing this. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. And this is how we were fashioned. I think that is why people are so attracted to these things because it is innate or inherent within them as they are fashioned in the Imago Dei, made in the image of God. You cannot deny that spiritual facet or makeup of the human being, regardless of their culture or upbringing, upbringing and, and, and so on. As you mentioned these things, I think another fallacy or something that is often stated that is, in my mind, um, very incorrect. I've spoken to Nick Ripkin, author of The Insanity of God. I already know what you're going to say as well. People talk about the persecuted church and the other church, or the church and the person, as if we're separating two different bodies or conglomerates of people. What are your thoughts about this? Is there the persecuted church and the church? I was asked to write a commentary on the book of Acts and the persecution. So I have not studied in universities. I am a jack of all trades and master of none. My wife has got two degrees. She is a pastor. She's studied theology as well, but I have respect for that. But I'm a very simple person. Before the book of Acts, before the persecution hit, did the disciple obey Christ? Because Christ at the end of Matthew, his final epilogue was go to all nations and preach the word of God. Did they listen? And people often ignored they didn't. All they were fighting is about which widowers get more food. So they put 12 of their best disciples as distributors of hamburgers. I mean, look hamburgers. at that. Is that, is that yeah. what they were eating at that time? I, I tell you, it was hamburger or lahmacun or something. <laughs> Okay. You know, look at this, Stephen, Philip, Philip who was transformed and he took the word of God to the Ethiopian eunuch and then brought Christianity to Ethiopia. He was distributing food. And I'm not saying distributing food is bad or it's demeaning, but they put 12 of our key guys full of the spirit like Stephen. What happened? 
the word of God in Acts says persecution hit Jerusalem. And then everyone dispersed. And the verse which I read from my Farsi says, everyone started witnessing for Christ. For goodness sake, if you had done your job, persecution wouldn't hit you. That's right. Yeah. I think persecution is a tool to wake up the church. And when you say a church which is persecuted and a church is not persecuted, I have to very be cautious of what I'm saying. Is there a church which is not persecuted? If you're a light on top of the hill, people will throw stone. Now, I am very guarded on this. If your church is not persecuted at all, are you a church? If nobody bothers you, nobody says anything about you, do you matter at all for the kingdom of God? That reminds me, David, of John Wesley. Once he was traveling, the founder of Methodist churches in UK on a horse, and he stopped and he dismounted his horse. He started crying. He says, it's four days. Nobody has said anything bad against me. Am I following you or am I doing something which pleases Satan? In the epistle of Timothy, it says, if you follow Christ and live a godly life, you will suffer. So I go it's beyond... I'm not it's saying a promise from Jesus. I'm sorry. It's a promise. For, it's a promise from Jesus that we don't gravitate toward. Now, I'm, I'm not inciting people to go and grab something and do something crazy to invite persecution. But what I'm saying is, the church should not be afraid of persecution. The church should not be introvert. The church should be extrovert. And as soon as we become extrovert. Persecution will hit us. Look at the United States of America, this beautiful country. In the COVID time, how many pastors were persecuted because they didn't stop meeting and praising God. When you do what God has asked you, whether you're an individual, a family, or a church, you will suffer persecution. So I believe in one church, not persecuted and not persecuted church, persecuted or not, that doesn't exist. I believe in one church, and some of them are severely persecuted, then the church, which is not persecuted, to go around them, huddle them and cuddle them and bless them, not be indifferent. Disengaged church is in danger. And I think what is happening in the Western world, the church is disengaged, distanced, and disinformed. I call it three disses. Disengaged, distanced, and disinformed. You don't need to be far away from what is happening in Iran, Afghanistan, Turkey, Yemen. God is something prevalent. So if you come closer, be engaged in prayer, be engaged in finances, be engaged in your abilities and talents, I think you can take back the fire of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to go to Pensacola, Florida. Pensacola, Florida, founder of the Holy Spirit, can be close to your heart today, my dear viewer yes. and listener. Amen. I would like to reiterate what you just said there, the disengaged church is in danger or endangered. Um, I think that is so true. Uh, recently, I was reading a book by a man named Rod Dreher. He says in, uh, in his book, In Live Not by Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. Um, this is what he says. Relatively few Christian, I'm sorry, relatively few contemporary Christians are prepared to suffer for the faith because the therapeutic society that has formed them does, denies the purpose of suffering in the first place and the idea of bearing pain for the sake of truth seems ridiculous. Now, when we have this mindset, yes, it seems ridiculous. My question is, uh, how do Christians that are in persecuted areas or persecuted regions, how do they differ from this mindset? You know, uh, again, this is a very touching subject. 
I don't mind having a nice coat, which is not, this is not, not the nicest one. There are better ones. I like your t-shirt, by the way, David. Uh, this one. <laughs> I, I did not yeah. dress up for this conversation. I this apologize. Is, this is the only thing which I could grab. I'm not against having a warm home. I don't, I'm not against having a warm shower. But when we focus on this, when we focus on this, and the demonic knows that unless I have a warm shower and a nice coat and a good food, I will forsake suffering for Christ. Satan knows this. We should put everything on the table because I think again this is biblical. It says you have to put yourselves on the altar. If we have our, if we believe in this word, how come we don't believe in this? This is why I often would refer to this. All Christians are believers when it comes to their coziness and their comfort and what they can receive from God. But when he says, no, I want you to be on the altar of sacrifice. No, thank you. He says, Jesus, when he starts saying, eat my body and drink my blood, everybody, including his disciples, left. I think when Satan knows everything is on the table, nothing is unreachable for Christ. And I believe a Christian should be a person, a woman and a man, whether a minister of the gospel or a newborn Christian, that nothing is out of reach of Christ to grab it in your life. Family members, your health, your well-being. And then if we live that kind of a life, we'll become commanders, we'll be fearless, we'll be bold, because Satan will be aware that we are untouchable. And I think the whole world will turn around in a very short span of time. Very powerful what you're sharing. And I think these are the things that we need to take to heart um, and see that uh, really all these things will not last forever, how quickly they will burn. And we're living, yes, in the city of man, as Augustine described, and yet we're juxtaposed by the city of God, these two realms, if you will, that are overlapping and uh, yet contrasting. Uh, Augustine wrote about this 1,500 years ago. But here in the city of man, we are looking forward to a city that will last forever. And uh, so often we get so infused and permeated and overwhelmed by the tangibles, which are so temporal. Uh, the eternal, the things unseen are the things that will last forever. Oh, you know, my goodness, we are we, so myopic in our vision. We have, we hear about Augustine, we read about that and we say, bravo, Augustine, bravo. We don't realize that there are hundreds of thousands of modern-day Augustine. Let me share about one Mahmoud and Zari and their son, Daniel Eastern Turkey. Mahmoud was captured in Iran in the city of Rom, where the Ayatollahs reside. Rom is the center of excellence. Uh, you know, it's just the holy Mecca of the Shiite religion. And then he had a house church, and it grew. And then finally, they arrested because a spy intruded as the norm. And then he was facing the judge, long story short. And the judge says, Mahmoud, you have corrupted and defiled this holy land of Qom, city of Qom. It's Q-U-M, Qom. This is the land of our ancestors, the holiness and Fatima and Zainab and Ali and all that. We will, I will order you to be hanged and killed. Mahmoud raises his hand. And this is not the only person. I, if you go to Turkey, I will introduce you to Mahmoud to sit down and chat with him. He says, you can't kill me. He says, oh, I can. I can and I will. He says, you can't kill me. He says, why? He says, because I was dead already. 
I was dead. How can you kill a dead person? He says, what? Dead? What do you mean? And the judge is now suffering. He says, why? And he's a Muslim cleric. He says, I was dead to sin. I was dead to drug addiction. I was finished. Jesus has given me a new life. And if he wants to protect me, he will protect me from you. But if he wants me to die, I'd already died before. How can you attack someone like that who is so bold because he knows he has been transformed to the image of Christ? So my dear viewers and listeners, either you believe in this word that you are transformed in the image of Christ by being born again and washed by the blood of the Lamb, or you reduce this supernatural, eternal issue to something that Oh, I'm here to go to church every Sunday, have a wonderful worship, and say, thank you, Pastor. That was a profound message. I loved it so much. And then go and do your week and then come back again. This is not Christian life. If Jesus is alive, he is resurrected. If Jesus commanded the sea to be quiet and shut up. If Jesus commanded the Lazarus, which is my name. By the way, I'm not the poor Lazarus. I'm the dead <laughs> So Amen. I'm the dead one, not the poor one commanded to come out and then what can what can he, he said you will do greater things than me again greater things jesus didn't say anything which was exaggerated we might exaggerate jesus didn't he says greater things someone has robbed us from believing and trusting the word of jesus oh i can do greater things okay i'm ready he says first you have to put yourself on the sacrifice table i will do it lord Enable me to do greater things for your glory. And I think the end times is here, viewers and listeners. Let's roll up our sleeves. Do something formidable. Let's not reduce this beauty of eternal salvation to live a life without misery or danger. I prefer to live a life of misery and danger, but represent Christ for one day than a hundred years in Disneyland. Wow. Powerful words. Thank you for sharing that. As you share this passion, and it's evident, and the things that you're seeing and transformation of lives and salvation and some Holy Spirit, well, the gospel cannot be contained. Uh, so often we like to package it, put it in a box, put a nice paper around it, hand it to someone, present it to them, say this is the gospel. Rather, the gospel is untamable and uncontainable. As you see these recent, let's say, protests uh, arising in Iran and this tumultuous time uh, in recent history, um, how is this transforming? How will this transform the future of Iran? What, what do you foresee in five years from now, in 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now? Well, I believe that, first of all, David, God is giving another chance to the church in Iran. Mm, yeah. Either we are prepared for it or we goof it again. And I want to underline, praying, pondering, without preparation will have a catastrophic result. I've been quoted this word and I've not said many things which is quotable, but this one I like. When I was praying one day, I felt the Holy Spirit telling me not praying is tragic. If a believer doesn't have an appetite to pray, I question, does he have a relationship or she has a relationship with Christ? Because if this word is living and powerful and the Holy Spirit is there to dwell in our heart, that should create a hunger, hunger for prayer. So when we ponder and when we pray, which is wonderful, and we don't prepare, the result will be catastrophic. Iran 
is being opened up. This new revolution led by fearless and bold Muslim girls from Kurdistan, from Balochistan, from Azerbaijan, from Gilan. Hundreds and hundreds have been butchered and tortured and raped and murdered. And tens of thousands are in prison. These guys are not even, they haven't met Christ, but I respect their boldness. Iran will open up. It's not a matter of if, it's a when. And how it will open up. What kind of Iran will be at our custody? If the church is ready, we'll march in and decontaminate the land. We have to take with mine sweepers, we have to take away the mine. For 43 years, they have been cursing Israel, cursing United States, cursing Europe. This curse has affected the whole nation. Rivers have dried up. You know, dams are drying up. The ecology is destroyed. We need to go and people say, what would we do when we go Iran? I say we have to go and detoxify Iran, decontaminate Iran. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 and 10, especially 10, says, go, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons, break the yoke of boundness, bondage, and then proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, we, have, we obey this, but we in a reverse order. We go and preach and preach and preach and preach. There is no casting out demons. There is no breaking of bondages. There is no healing the sick. Why? Because someone in his theology has robbed us and made us believe that this does not work anymore. So, I mean, come on. I don't care about this theology or that theology. I'm Baptist. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Pentecostal. Are you a Christian? Do you believe in the word of God? Jesus says, if you don't believe in what I say, he refers, gives a reference to his work. Apostles are out there preaching and he says, God was confirming with sign wonders and miracles. And then there is Lazarus Yagnazar, this Iranian bloke. He goes and preaches. He says, God, I am living, but by the way, I cannot heal. I cannot bless you. I cannot break your book of bondage because my theology forbids me and my denomination says you cannot do that. Yeah. Come on. God forbid. I think Iran will open up. Uh, Iran will open up, David, and I tell you it will be sooner than we believe. But this over a million Iranian Muslims who have come to Christ, will we have a preparation to go en masse, to take the word of God, to touch them on their shoulders, to heal their sick, to mend their wounded, and say kingdom of God is near. I believe that opportunity will be given to the church. If we don't use it wisely and we are not prepared, in unity, we will be the biggest loss of the Iranian history. Yeah. You know, as you touch upon these things, um, I've recently watched a very powerful documentary by Frontier Alliance International, FAI. And uh, it's called Sheep Among Wolves. Perhaps you've seen it on YouTube, mm -hmm. volume one and two. I, I, I guess I only wanted to ask you this because they point heavily towards this movement and revival taking place that is spearheaded by women. Um, can you give us a fuller picture, perhaps. I know it only touches on certain aspects in ways. What are your thoughts? What's the bigger picture of this million soul transformation that's taking place? Well, uh, I have watched that movie. Uh, there are yeah. some great places which I disagree with that. Iran's revolution, Christian revolution, is not led by women. You know, it was led by women 2,000 years ago because the disciples were afraid and they were huddled together. I don't know they were huddled together. If I was the disciples, I would disperse to many villages so you won't be arrested. And then three bold women, all Marys, went to the grave. 
there are many bold women, but I wouldn't say it is led by women. It is led by both men and women. In our ministry, we appoint women leaders and men leaders. If God has appointed and anointed and filled with someone, a woman or a girl, with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do signs, wonders and miracles, who am I to stop them serving saying, you're a girl, you're immature, you're not a man? No, no, no. We believe that everyone who is appointed and anointed, we cannot stop them. But to say that women are leading this revolution in Iran, this uh, uprising in Iran recently was led by women. It started from Kurdistan, then Gilan, then different places. But in our ministry team, which we represent uh, one of the main lines of ministries, and as I said, if you want to hear more and evidence, go to our website, www.transformiran.com, and we have much more stories to share. Women have a crucial part, but 50% of Iranians are women. There are male and females, kind of 51%, 49%. So we have almost equal numbers of men serving God, boldly, courageously, also women. Some people said this revolution has brought the emancipation of women. That's wrong. This Islamic revolution has subjugated women like no dark age in the past has done. But what is happening is this freedom movement is allowing women to come out, cut their hairs, throw out their hijab. And it's not only a matter of dress code. It is a hijab which is forcing them to go under the veil to be subjugated by men. But this has happened already at the feet of the cross. Jesus freed women to be themselves. He broke every cultural barrier when he was talking with an ex-prostitute, the Samaritan woman. He broke many cultural barriers. He spoke with a woman. He spoke with a woman alone. He spoke with a Samaritan. He spoke with a prostitute. So he, this has done, been done 2,000 years ago. He allowed a woman to come 2,000 years ago to wash his feet with his tears and if I do that, my friend, in Thailand, you will kick me out of your church. He broke these cultural barriers. So women in Christ are free. And free women in Iran are doing amazing work next to brothers. And I'm not a feminist. I'm not a masculinist. But I was born in a family with three brothers and three sisters. One of my sisters was killed in Iran. They poisoned her and they took her property. We kept on saying, you're in danger. She says, in danger of what? Dying? She stayed there. She had a two degrees and she decided to stay in Iran. And I've seen people, both men and women, who have met Christ. And I will finish with this. If you haven't met Christ, if you haven't had a personal encounter with Jesus at the cross, if you haven't met the Jesus of resurrection, if you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to come and take hold of your life, please do not testify. Do not preach, do not teach because it will be wasted. But if you have met Christ, and if you have a story to share, we Iranians in the Middle East love stories. And I have found that in Western world as well, people love stories. They tell me churches, you know, whether I'm in Vancouver or I'm, uh, you know, Florida and Jacksonville, tell us some stories. You Westerners, you love stories like Iranians. Jesus told the demonized of Genesaret, go and tell people, what I have done for you. In other words, if you have met Christ, you have a story. Make that story put in the word of God in that prism and give to people and see what will happen. Yes. I like how you keep referring to this prism. And I think this is what we often 
try to go at it alone or enter the saviorhood, as it were, because Jesus needs us. <laughs> Rather, he calls us to walk alongside him as his co-laborers, as heirs of a coming kingdom. And this prism through which we look informs eternity and therefore our daily actions. I appreciate you repeating that. You've mentioned the website a couple times, transformiran.com. If people go there right now, they're excited, they've been hearing, wow, this is really incredible, they sense your passion. Uh, how can they help? What, in what ways uh, would you love for people to come alongside and join you in this holy endeavor? Three main areas to do. First of all, as I said, disengage church. Be engaged. Come and receive our monthly publication and pray. My jargon is very simple. A prayer church is a pay church. I've yet to say a church, a church, which is praying for a country, for let's say Thailand, and they don't pay. But a paying church which doesn't pray, it will dry up finally. Also, a praying church and a paying church will come and engage as well, can become a part of that. Come to Turkey. Right now, earthquake has destroyed lives. You know, millions are affected. So we are trying. We are not a humanitarian agency, but our Christian pastors who were Muslim converts, they go to these places, they take some food, and they say, what is your name? Ali. Are you a Christian? Yes. But Ali is a Muslim name. They said, well, I met Jesus, and he transformed my life. This is why I've left my church in Trabuzan or Messina, and I've come to bring this good to you. Could you tell us more? How did you become a Christian? This is the greatest opportunity given to us to express God's love. Where is the church, David? Where is the church yeah. in Turkey? Why don't we tell? And thirdly, Come and bring your talents. I'm an accountant. I'm an expert in videography, audiography. Come to our studios. I'm expert in making better films. When there is a will, God will use our talent. So either bring your two fish and five loaves. He says, Jesus, does this matter? And as little as you bring, God can multiply and feed the thousand. So in our website, we say, you can give financially, but don't want to, we don't want you to stop there. Receive the prayer. If a million people can pray for Iran or pray for Thailand or pray for the United States, revival will be closed. And also come and participate. I, I, you know, people say, I don't know the language, Brother Lazarus. I don't know the culture. I didn't say you know the language or not. Can you pray for a sick person? Can you put your hand on the shoulder of a man who is desperate for God without knowing language? And then they will say, hey, hey, wait, I find someone who knows English. You touch my shoulder, it was hurting for one year. It was completely healed because I said, you know, come, come, don't stop coming. And then you will see God doing wonders. But if you stay there, John Maxwell says, if you have a parked car, nowhere will, no one will follow you. Come out of the parking, say, God, I'm going to drive. Holy Spirit, you lead me. So start moving out of your comfort zone and you will see the Holy Spirit taking hold of your life and doing signs and wonders and miracles. Amen. Well, what you're saying really resonates with the byline of this entire podcast. Know God's heart, join his mission. When you do know God's heart and catch a glimpse of his passion for people, uh, it is inevitable that you then join him on this mission. And it's not drudgery, but rather joy. Um, I so appreciate 
uh, you sharing these things. I know there's so much more on your heart. I would again like to point people to the website, transformiran.com. Uh, go visit the website, please. And uh, One little story, if you allow. Oh, yes, please. I, I never like to cut off well, anyone, although I have a tendency Maggie, to. God has blessed Maggie and me with four daughters, and they're all serving God. One of them is planting a church with Julian in Boston. The other one is Chesapeake, Ohio. She's become the CEO of our ministry in the United States. Godly woman. I went to their house when they were living in England once. The youngest daughter was five-year-old. They had made a mess of the kitchen. And I said, what on earth are you doing? There was flour on the floor, flour everywhere. And he says, we are making cookies. And Lana, my goodness, she makes excellent food. And I said, what are you doing? The joy in that kitchen. I wasn't worried about the mess on the floor. She was happy because they are making cookies together. My dear brothers, if you are a pastor of the church, stop worrying about the mess on the floor. Let the children come and mess up and make cookies with you. Because this is God's heart. He can do it alone. He can turn Iran or Thailand upside down in a sparkle. But he wants you and me to make cookies with Jesus. Just be available and make cookies. This is a powerful way to commence or to finish this uh, conversation. Make cookies with Jesus. Reverend Lazarus, I so appreciate your heart. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I pray that God continues to, in fact, let me just pray for you and transform Iran right now. May I? Thank you. Yes, Lord, we are so thankful and grateful, God, for Transform Iran, for Reverend Lazarus, for the things that you have called this man, his family, his team and co-workers to. Father, and there are many more. Uh, those who have yet been named, and the faceless ones, the heroes of faith that we have not yet seen. I pray that you would embolden them, encourage them, be with them, go before and guide them, especially to those hungry hearts, Lord, that are waiting at the other end of our obedience, that you might open doors no man can shut, close the ones they should not walk through, and just bless their efforts so that you, in the end, may receive glory. We give glory to you. Thank you for the transformation that's taking place in Iran. Thank you, God, for the lives that are being touched. And speak to those right now who are having dreams, uh, who are seeing you and are hungry for you. They're seekers. May you open their hearts to you, cause them to be transformed along with the entire country and bless this family and ministry in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, David. Wonderful prayer. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to staying in touch. But uh, again, I would encourage people to go visit transformaran.com. And uh, bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. It was an honor to be here. Well, um, you know, as, as Reverend Lazarus was sharing, there are so many things you could see his passion bubbling forward, you know, and I pray that that would be contagious for you, that you would hunger and thirst like those who are in Iran right now seeking uh, the Messiah right now. And because of their seeking, they are finding. Because they are knocking, the doors are being opened to them. In the same way, I pray that same thing over you today. I pray that you would be blessed to be a blessing that the Jesus of the gospel would come alive to you and you would experience him and thus join him on mission. Missions Pulse. Know God's heart, join his mission. 
This podcast is powered by Within Reach Global. Subscribe, watch, and listen on YouTube today. Visit missionspulse.com.